Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. Romans chapter number three, I want to preach a message today uh, entitled Declared Righteous. Um, Romans chapter number three, verse 21 is where we're going to begin our reading. Uh, Read along there with me. It should be on the screen as well. The Bible says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord, and let's pray this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to this time now to study your word, to glean from it, Lord, to grow in our understanding of uh, this wonderful doctrine of justification, Lord, to see and understand, hopefully, Lord, uh, from the text that we have been declared righteous. And Lord, what a, what a wonderful thing that is today. Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I preach to be faithful to the text, true to exactly what your word says. And I pray that Holy Spirit, you'd fill me and guide me, give me the strength that I need to preach this morning. And I pray that uh, if there's one soul here today, Lord, who doesn't know Christ as their savior, uh, no matter who they are, no matter if they're a guest or a longtime member, that if they are convicted of their sin today, Lord, and see their need of a Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that you be glorified in everything that is done. Lord, we yield the remainder of this time over to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Now, uh, today, as I mentioned, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper here in just a little bit. And the Lord's Supper is one of two ordinances in the Baptist church. You can probably guess the first one, baptism. Uh, And then the second one is the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is, uh, we don't view it as sacramental. We, in other words, it's not um, meritorious for salvation. We view it as memorial in that we remember what Christ has done for us and how Christ died on the cross for our sin. And I don't think any of us, as far as I know, looking around the room, most of us are probably very familiar with the cross. We've probably seen it depicted in many different ways. Uh, We've been in church for quite some time. The, the cross and what happened at the cross is probably not unfamiliar to us or lost on us. But I wonder, though, and I want to focus today on what happens because of the cross. And these are the things that um, we probably know. Like this is, you'll probably think, oh, I, I know all this stuff. And that's fine. But it's something important to remember. And I think especially on a day where we are setting aside time at the end of our service to uh, rejoice in the good news of the gospel and the death of Christ on our behalf, it's important to remember at least some of what happened through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we're in the book of Romans, and I'm not going to get into too much of the background because um, I'm going to let Pastor Tyler handle all of that. He's going to start in Romans, uh, I think, next week. So, uh, now you have to come back next week to figure out what, how we got Romans, right? Uh, that's not fair. And they would chastise me in homiletics class for telling you that. But here we are. Uh, anyways, I'll say this about Romans. It was written to the church at Rome by the Apostle Paul. The rest of it you get to hear from Pastor Tyler next week. And the first three chapters of Romans, essentially, it seems as if Paul is ushering all of humanity into a cosmic courtroom, so to speak. 
And he is, he is declaring that all of humanity is under sin and guilty. Now, in chapter number three, he is speaking specifically, at least in the first eight verses, to Jews and, and their uh, position and their, their uh, thought processes of them being God's chosen people. And then in verse number nine, he kind of levels the playing field. If you look in verse number nine of chapter three, he says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Verse nine, he makes a pivotal statement declaring every human being under sin. And then as he is, as he is there in, if you will, this cosmic courtroom, so to speak, he makes this, um, he, he, as like a prosecuting attorney, so to speak, makes his case of the wickedness and the sinfulness and the depravity of all mankind. Follow with me in uh, chapter three, verse 10. He says, as it is written, he's quoting Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 here. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You see the, 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 the scope of his language here. There is none righteous, none that seeketh after God, none, uh, none that understandeth. All have gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. He's including everyone. Verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's a bleak picture. And it's very clear. Paul is pointing the finger, if you will, at all of humanity saying, everyone is under sin. In verse 19, Paul brings us to the law. He says in verse number 19, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law has done Two things. It has essentially shut our mouths and it has declared us guilty before God. Verse number 20 tells us that the deeds of the law cannot justify anyone. It cannot make anyone righteous. All the law can do is give us the knowledge of sin. But the first two words of verse number 21 indicate a change of emphasis. He says in verse number 19, now we know. And in verse number 21, he says, but now, he is changing his focus. We know what the law can't do, but now. And he wants to show us what is the case now. And he, he really illustrates three different things about this idea of being declared righteous. He points out three different uh, aspects of this declaration of righteousness that I want to look at today. First, he shows us that the righteousness of God is revealed. Look in verse number 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, this is interesting. Uh, the, that first phrase there, we need to kind of we need kind of do a little bit of uh, uh, translational work here to bring it into language we may understand. The, the, the phrase, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. You could translate that as, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. 
And then he says that it is being witnessed, the righteousness of God is being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Okay, so this is an interesting claim here. He's saying that the, we know that the keeping of the law was what would have been considered to be righteous. And that's the problem, right? The law, as we just saw in verse 19 and 20, only condemns us because we cannot keep it on our own. The righteousness of the law can only come, as verse number 20 says, by the deeds of the law. And if you can't do the right things, you can't be righteous. And he has just proved from verse 10 to verse 18, you can't do the right things. So you can't be righteous. So the law points to something higher, and that is the righteousness of God. It's an unachievable measure driving would-be law keepers to lift their eyes higher than the law to the face of the one in whom is all righteousness. So the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law, and it was witnessed to by the law and the prophets. When we read about the law and the prophets, we, that is a reference to all of the Old Testament as a whole, the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Testament, he says, witnessed to the righteousness of, of God. Well, how is that possible? What is the Old Testament? Or maybe we should say, who is the Old Testament a witness of? Jesus Christ. He says in verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. The Old Testament points to the perfect righteousness of God as revealed in the God man, Jesus Christ. And in the law and the prophets, that's where we see. And the righteousness of God can only be applied to any person, as the verse says, by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Do you notice the contrast here that he just made in, in verse number 22? He has just said in verse number 10, there is none righteous, there is uh, no, not one. No one is good. No one can be righteous. And he just said, you can be righteous. In fact, anyone can be righteous who believes on Jesus Christ and that the righteousness of God is available by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. One commentator said it this way, under the law, righteousness came by behaving, but under the gospel, righteousness comes by believing. Now, these verses, they essentially do two things. First, Paul is reiterating the inability of a law-focused righteousness to truly save us. Because the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law, we are required to look outside of the law for righteousness. The law was holy and just and good, as we see in Romans 7, but the law could never provide us the righteousness we needed. Because as we saw, the law leaves us speechless. It leaves us guilty before God. So the law is meant to show us our unbelievable, and it is unbelievable the inability within us to make ourselves right with God. And I personally believe it is meant to create in us a longing for a perfect law keeper. And these verses also teach us, though, to truly have the righteousness of God is only by one way, and it is by faith in Jesus Christ and by faith alone. So you're either one of two people today. You're either trying to good works yourself into righteousness or you're trying to good works yourself into righteousness. I know, I just said the same thing twice. Let me explain. You may be the person that keeps tabs on the things that you're doing, on how good you've been, on the things you've done in an attempt to convince God you're worthy of his righteousness. 
You may be the kindest, the most gracious member of society. You may help your neighbors out. You may do all of those things, and that is wonderful in an attempt to earn your own righteous. But anytime we try to earn our own righteous, we are exercising in futility because there is none righteous. There is no righteousness in us. None of us are good. None of us can perfectly keep God's law and fulfill God's righteousness. And yet we try so hard to make ourselves righteous and it'll never work because the law condemns us. It shows us our sin. So if this is you, stop trying. Stop trying to do good works to good works yourself into God's righteousness and come to Christ by faith. Faith in Christ is the only way the righteousness of God is poured out on sinners. And we all say, amen. But I can tell you something this morning. In this room right now, I don't care if you've come to this church for 40 years or for 40 minutes. Just because you sit in a church does not mean you are a Christian. Faith is not in a church. It is in Christ. And if there is even a smidgen in your mind of you thinking, I have, I have tried so hard to convince everyone else, may I just let you know, the God of the universe is not confused by the game that you play. And if you are not saved, I do, it does not matter what anyone in this room thought. If you have not put your faith in Christ in eternity, God does not look at your church attendance as a bonus point. It is, is your faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and in him alone? So I would encourage you, if you do not know Christ or you have put on a show of knowing Christ, just stop. Because eternity lasts forever. And let me tell you something. You say, I'd be embarrassed. Five to 10 minutes of embarrassment on this earth saves a whole lot of eternal suffering. And I'm telling you, friend, don't walk out of those doors without getting it squared away because you just have no idea. The only way you can truly be righteous before God is by faith in Jesus Christ. But you may be the other person, the other one trying to good works yourself into righteousness. What makes you different, though, is that you know you don't have any righteousness in yourself. The righteousness of God has been applied to your life because of faith in Christ, and yet you're still trying to earn it. Good works and righteousness, make no mistake, are part of life uh, uh, after faith in Christ. Okay, Grace is not opposed to effort, as, and I'm not sure who said it, but grace is not opposed to effort, but grace is opposed to earning. Okay, Christianity is still a life of good works. But how often do we unintentionally default back to this idea of I must earn my righteousness? How often are we basically saying to God, thank you so much for the righteousness I have in Christ, for the salvation I have in Jesus Christ, but I really just want to show you that I, I've got this, that I am righteous and so what do we do? We bind ourselves. We work ourselves to the bone, trying to earn a righteousness that was ours by faith in Christ. And what happens when we live for God based on a desire for righteousness instead of from his righteousness? 
The works we do become laced with pride and self-deprecation, neither of which looks like living the Galatians 2.20 life, which is living in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. The righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law in the person of Jesus Christ, and by faith in him, God's righteousness is ours. If you couldn't earn it to begin with, you can't make it any better. In fact, if you could improve upon the righteousness of God, you would have been the sacrifice for sin. But you can't. You can't top the righteousness of God. So live for God. I'm not up here advocating for some random antinomian lifestyle. Just throw off all the rules, do whatever you want and be some, you know, maverick Christian. No, 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 no. There are things in the scripture that teach us that all they that live godly, you have to live godly. Like there's godliness required. But why do you do it? If it's for the glory of our great God and Savior, keep on. But if it's because you're trying to prove something to God, you are going to burn yourself out. This is why legalism is so terrible, because legalism attempts to add righteousness to the righteousness of God. And it never, ever, ever, ever works. Nothing you can do can add to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ, and we can have access to that righteousness by faith in Christ. So Paul talks about the righteousness of God reveals, but he also talks about the justification of sinners. Look at the end of verse 22. He says, for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jew or Gentile, it does not matter. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the mark. We all come short of it, everybody. In fact, the words come short are in the present tense in the Greek, which means that the action is continuous or ongoing. You could literally translate this verse as for all have sinned and are coming short of the glory of God. Over and over and over again, anytime we attempt to achieve the glory of God, we come short and we come short and we come short continuously. It seems as though Paul is reiterating that no matter how many times and no matter how hard we try, we cannot keep God's law or achieve his righteousness. And it doesn't matter who you are. He said there is no difference just like he said in verse number nine, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. They're all under sin. There's no difference. You can't achieve the glory of God because of sin. And then he comes to verse 24. He says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now he's, again, we're coming back to the righteousness of God. The word justified here, Paul uses, he's pointing his original readers to the righteousness of God. It is a law term. That's why I chose the gavel today, because the word justified, it's a, a law term. It means to declare righteous. So how does God go about declaring sinners righteous? Well, the verse says he does so freely by his grace. Freely, it means as a gift. Sinners may be declared righteous as a gift of God's wonderful grace. You, he has just got done saying you can't earn righteousness. The only way you can be righteous is by a gift of God's grace 
which is the justification through Jesus Christ. But this gift of grace, look at the end of verse 24, comes through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, when we think of the word redemption, we think about our time at the grocery store. You know, when you go to Winn-Dixie and it prints out the 14 mile long receipt, and at the end of the receipt, there are these coupons that you can cut out that nobody does. If you do, I'm, you're a better person than me. But uh, we, you can cut those little coupons out and you can take it to the store. And what can you do? You can redeem it. You can take that and you get 50 cents off your next gallon of milk or whatever it is, which is sidebar genius on Winn-Dixie's part. They know ain't nobody going to do that. So they're getting people pay full price for milk, even though they're giving out 50 cents off every time. Hey, you just came to church and got shopping advice. You can't beat that, especially in this economy. Uh, no, that's, that's not what we're talking about in the Bible, though. Biblical redemption is applied to many different parts of Jewish life, but most often it was used to speak of slaves and property being redeemed or bought back. So a certain price was required to be paid to release slaves or captives. So he just said, you've been justified freely by his grace at no cost to you, but every penny of cost to God. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus has paid the price and bought us back to God so that we can freely receive his grace. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. He has paid the price for our sin so that we can be freely declared righteous. It has been paid for by Jesus. The cross of Christ paid our ransom, liberating us from slavery to sin. And justification and redemption carry meaning with us even after we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Our justification is a reminder that our righteousness is not our own. It is from outside of us. It has been declared over us to be true. Our justification has been given to us by God so that when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and not any righteousness that we may try to merit it up on our own. Why? Because he has declared us to be so. He has declared us to be righteous. That means, as I have said previously, you can't add to that. You're in really a great spot this morning if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because that means when God sees you, he sees his righteousness. And the redemption that is ours through Christ means that we have been redeemed from slavery to sin and we have been bound to a new master, God. We have been bought with a price and we should serve God with our days. And I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. Any sort of Christianity, any sort of gospel that says believe on Jesus Christ and go about your life, ain't it? Because you were bought with a price. You must serve your new master, our heavenly father. And anyone who chooses not to, we got some questions. Anyone that preaches the gospel that says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and go your separate way, watch out. Because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has redeemed us to himself and now we are his and we serve our new Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. So the justification of sinners is by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So far, we've seen that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ, that we can be declared righteousness through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And then he points out in verse 25 and 26, he emphasizes the propitiation of Christ. 
He says, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Okay, this concept of propitiation, it's a Greek word, okay? It refers to, and that's an important emphasis, it refers to the mercy seat or lid. In fact, the same Greek word here translated propitiation in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, in Leviticus 16, when we talk about the mercy seat, it is the exact same Greek word translated mercy seat in the Greek Old Testament. Okay, same idea. It refers to the mercy seat or, or lid, but it carries the meaning of satisfying the wrath and just demands of God. And so when the Roman audience read this, their mind would have immediately gone back to Leviticus 16. The Day of Atonement. When you look at Leviticus 16, you see two goats being presented. One goat was the sacrifice, the one whose blood would be shed for sin. The other goat would bear the sin of the people out into the wilderness. The goat for the sin offering would be killed, and then the high priest would take the blood of the goat and carefully enter into the most holy place and sprinkle the blood of that goat on the mercy seat seven times. And this was to satisfy or atone for the sins of Israel and appease the wrath of God towards sin for one year. And this atonement happened behind a veil. It was hidden from sight. Only one person could do it. And he would have to enter in, in a consecrated manner into the most holy place and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. But Christ, who is our propitiation, who died in our place, who satisfies the just demands of a holy and righteous God, who appeases the wrath of God towards sin. Look at what it says, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Those words set forth in the Greek mean set before publicly. What God did behind a veil at the mercy seat for all those years at Christ, he displayed it publicly for the world to see. You have paid the blood of goats on the mercy seat for years and years and years, but now in Christ, it's done. It's been done publicly for all to see. The final satisfaction of the wrath of God and his just demands publicly displayed in the shedding of the blood of Christ on the cross. And that satisfactory payment is only applied, look at what it says, through faith in his blood. Through faith in his blood, through faith in Christ and this propitiation of Christ, it declares two things. Look what verse 25 says, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The word remission, it means the intentional passing over. So the sacrifice on the cross and the shedding of his blood declares God's righteous passing over sins in the past through the forbearance or the patience or the mercy of God. So it seems to indicate then that before the death of Christ on the cross, God did not punish sin with full severity. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament were always going to be an insufficient covering for sin. But sin has to be paid for by death. And God allowed those sacrifices through his mercy, through his forbearance to be satisfactory. God was merciful, but the propitiation of Christ satisfied God's wrath and judgment once and for all. God mercifully withheld his wrath from sinners and poured it out on Christ because the sacrifice of Christ was the only sacrifice that could satisfy God's wrath. We don't, people don't like to hear this talk today about the wrath of God. 
The Bible is very clear. God is angry with sinners every day. God is not okay with sin. God has wrath towards sin, but praise be to God, that wrath has been satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You, you don't have to bear the wrath of God on yourself because Christ did it for you. But not only that, the propitiation of Christ, look, verse 26, he says again, to declare, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He's just explained the propitiation was a declaration of the righteousness of God to pass over sin in the past. And now he says that at this time, it declares the righteousness of God, that God might be just and the justifier. How? Because God has justly poured out his wrath on sin. sin. Sin's price has been satisfied. And because he has done that, he can justly justify the sinner. Because of Jesus and his wrath, God can justly look at you, a sinner deserving of the wrath of God, and justly declare you righteous and not guilty because Christ shed his blood for you. But this is only true, at the end of verse 26, of him which believeth in Jesus. Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf. God is just to justify you because the price of your sin has been paid. You do not have to bear that burden yourself. You can be declared righteous by God. And if you believed in Christ by faith, you don't have to walk around this life trying to pay for your own sin. How often do we, as believers, who have been justified when we sin, forget about the fact that we were told in uh, 2 Timothy, I think it is, that we have an advocate with fa the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. How many times do we forget this? and try and pay for our own sin by self-condemnation and self-imposed guilt. What does the Bible say to do? Confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Does that mean we should be flippant towards sin? Absolutely not. What it means is there has been forgiveness for your sin. You've been declared righteous, so stop trying to pay for your sin yourself. Christ has done it. Jesus paid it for you. You've been, de de been declared righteous. He took your sin and gave you his righteousness. So here we are. Who are you today? Have you, by faith, believed in Jesus Christ? As I said earlier, do not, do not, do not let your status or even your membership in this church keep you from admitting the truth about the condition of your soul. Don't let the fact that this may be your first time or your hundredth time here hold you back from faith in Christ. And to my brothers and sisters in the room, the only thing I can really say to you is rejoice. You've been justified. The wrath of God has been satisfied by Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You have been declared righteous. So stop living for the acceptance and favor of God and start living from it. Don't default back into your law-keeping ways, trying to impress God with your resume. He's not impressed. He's impressed with only one, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
Jesus was the perfect law keeper for you. And because his sacrifice, you can live for him each day, knowing that nothing you could do could make God love you more or less. Nothing. Well, but no, nothing. Rejoice in the cross. Because without the cross of Christ, none of this would be possible. We'd be sitting here blowing hot air, wasting everybody's time. And as we take the Lord's Supper in just a few moments, remember, this is what Christ has done for you. We don't, we don't frustratingly pop that little film off of there and try and get that cracker out and then take the lid off of there to drink the juice just to do it. We do it to rejoice that this is true of us only because of Jesus Christ. And, and not to, to tease you, but this is only part of it. This is only part of it. We talked about justification. We briefly talked about redemption. We dabbled in propitiation, but we didn't even talk about reconciliation or adoption or anything else that happened because of the cross. This is just scratching the surface. But if you'll just scratch the surface a little bit, knowing that the righteousness of God has been accredited to your account, I would be willing to bet if you leave this place and you go throughout your week saying, thank you, God, for the justification I have in Jesus Christ. You know what? Sin may not have the same kind of power over you that it did. Because you'll remember my Savior was the satisfactory payment for that. You'll remember that he died on that cross to be your advocate. Well, there's another thing we didn't really even talk about. Christ being our advocate. Christ interceding for us. In fact, Ephesians tells us we have been given all spiritual blessings in Christ. So if you can fathom it, God has blessed you spiritually in that way in Christ. But today, let's remember, we have been declared righteous. And that because of the cross of Christ, nothing we can do could satisfy God's wrath. Oh, but Jesus did. Jesus did. And I can tell you what, that's freedom right there. That's what that is. You talk about walking in freedom and newness of life in knowing that the God of the universe justified your soul and you didn't do anything about for it. If you don't know Christ today, I hope today will be the day you put your faith in Christ. And if you do, hey, rejoice. When we pick up these elements here in a little minute, oh man, don't just, don't just look at it as a cracker and juice. Remember, hey, I'm justified. I've been declared righteous because of what this represents, because of the death of Christ on my behalf. You have been declared righteous. I hope that'll motivate you this week. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information, check out fbcpanamacity.com. Have a great week.